Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Resolved the truth about James, an audiobook novella in six chapters. Chapter One First Date, August eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. You're late, she said. It was a greeting tainted with spite, and he knew the tone of it all too well. Still, here she was, live and kicking right in front of him, kissing him gingerly on the cheek, willing him to take a seat and kick off their very first date. He couldn't believe it. Sorry, he said. Sorry, (laughs) really sorry. James sat down, flustered forgetting at first to take off his blazer, then standing and removing it awkwardly so that it flopped to the floor beside him. He thought about picking it up, and then motioned to, and then stopped. Sweat poured from his forehead in salty waves. He couldn't concentrate. He kept looking over his shoulder, expecting something awful to happen. I'm sorry. It's okay, Laura offered. She wanted to stay angry, annoyed at having been kept waiting for more than half an hour, at having to mutely absorb the pitying looks from those on nearby tables. But that anger was snagged on a firm desire for the night to go well. This was her first, first date, since she was a teenager, and it was already off to a rotten start. Perhaps things would pick up if she let his unpunctuality slide. And besides, the guy now sitting across from her was cute, in a bookish, agitated kind of way, and his nerves put hers at ease. It's okay, she said. Don't worry, but you have to provide me with two excuses. One real and one fake. Sorry, James said, still hot, still not really in the room. He sat uneasily on the tiny stool beneath him. One real excuse and one made-up one. Then I can decide which one I think is real. She poured two glasses from the bottle of white wine she'd bought intending to treat his liking or disliking of it as an early indicator of their compatibility. James issued several ums and unsure errs, and then a quiet and deflated 
Right. Well. Before saying. Well, one excuse is that I was, I was kept late at work. And another is that I was late because I was, because I had to wear the right clothes. Because I needed the perfect outfit. She formed a grin against her will. He was rubbish at the game, but his obvious shyness was kind of cute. She had not spotted that James had dipped his head in shame. You wouldn't believe me if I told you, he said under his breath, and there was a self-deprecating tone to the words, bordering on sadness even. Personally, my money's on you having been kept late at work, Laura replied, looking to defuse the mounting awkwardness and get on with a proper conversation. There was a pause while James lifted his glass of wine and took a large gulp. It was cold and sharp and made him wince slightly. He hated white wine, though he'd never let her know. He slammed it back down on the table too hard, caught himself having done so and placed both palms on the wood as if apologising to the surface. Then he stood urgently, some fresh panic across his face. Sorry, he said. I just need to go to the toilet quickly. And he hurried aft from the table. Laura took her phone from her bag and drew the screen a few inches from her eyes. One USMS was printed in inky black across the pond-like green beneath. From Tom. Message. Is he fit? Laura mashed at the keys until the monochrome pixels had rearranged themselves to say, Yes, but a bit weird. Think he's just gone for a shit. James was motionless. He removed his glasses and stared into the ghastly, backwards version of himself in the mirror, ignoring the nearby toilet attendant's energetic singing. He splashed a fistful of water against his cheeks and toweled himself down and glared at his outstretched hands until they stopped shaking, which took too long. The man gazing back at him from beyond the mirror did not look like anyone he recognised. He was sallow and old with deep bags under each eye. His pupils were dilated. He looked sick, eyes racing through various conflicting flavours of worry. He clenched his fists tightly and brought them down to his sides, and then he began to step back into the bar. place was now busying with a slow trickle of suited types who were injecting the air with smoke and barreled laughter. Laura had, as expected, managed to find them a table in a corner near the window, which was at least something, but he still could not shake the feeling that he was vulnerable, that he was about to be attacked. Nervously, he sat back down and tried to pretend that everything was fine. This had to go well, he told himself. He had to make it go well. Sorry. Better now. I was busting for the loo. The lie sounded flat and transparent, even to himself. I bet you say that to all the girls, Laura replied. There was a silence. You know, she added, 
I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but you look slightly older than I imagined. Oh, uh, I, uh... No, 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 sorry, that's not what I meant it to mean. I just meant that, you know, younger man. You you expect them to look younger, you know? Baby-faced. You, you're a bit more distinguished than I imagined. That, that's all. She said, pointing towards the flecks of grey at James's temples. Compliment. Laura glugged at her wine, inwardly berating herself for managing to be so frank and so rude all at the same time. But it was true. She had not expected James to be so worn around the eyes, or so thick with stubble. The grey curls of beard around his cheeks were like flecks of ash against dried wood. The advert he had left, which she had cut out of the personals and showed Tom, and had left attached to the fridge door for three weeks before doing anything about, had said that James was twenty-seven. He looked a fair bit older than that. Thanks, then, I guess, James said with a flat smile. How old are you now? Thirty-one. Right. He found himself staring at Laura with nothing else to say. And what could he say? The day's events had left him bewildered, more than bewildered, devastated trapped in a locked room inside himself. But now he was sitting at a table in front of Laura Ray, having a drink as if nothing had happened. It was so surreal. Did you see the eclipse this afternoon? She asked, trying to break what she found to be an intense glare and another overlong silence. But I know you're not meant to look at it, but we all left the office to have a ganders. It's really bizarre. I don't think I've seen one like that before. Or not that I can remember. There was no response. James? James? She asked again, now slightly offended. You okay? She clicked her fingers a few times in front of his eyes, which seemed to bring him to. Sorry, Eclipse? Yes, yeah. I mean, no. I I read about it. I didn't see it. Not as such. Hectic day, then? She asked. Yes. Again the conversation fell flat, and James found himself looking at Laura, really looking at her, as she stared down the table awkwardly. He couldn't believe how beautiful she looked, so happy and fresh-faced. Her hair waved down and over her shoulders like brushstrokes, framing the white of her face in a deep chestnut. She was stunning here in this setting, he thought, perfect in the low light of an August dusk, and he couldn't stop looking. Are you sure everything's okay? She asked. It seemed to her as if he were looking straight through her, through the window behind and deep into the street beyond. This was so disappointing. It had taken her a lot of time and courage to bring herself to date again, and in the interim time, her feverish mind had built this scenario and its importance up to stratospheric levels. It was difficult for her not to wonder that this might be it, because she was a romantic and therefore found it difficult not to build things up in such a foolish way. She had always found it impossible to embark on romantic endeavours without having first pictured herself and her prospective partner walking the aisle, or unlocking the door to their starter home, or picking their first pet together. And even though she'd had no clue what James even looked like going in, this had been no different, which was what made this fallback to reality so much harder. Already, She knew this was not a match made in heaven. He wasn't even trying.
look, do you want to leave? Have you got somewhere else that you're supposed to be? The disappointment on Laura's face was achingly familiar. James saw her shoulders sink and her eyebrows lower. He realised that she'd withdrawn into herself, clearly crestfallen by his weird behaviour and terrible form. He had to do something to turn things around. This was it now. He was on a date with Laura Ray, and it was going terribly. He took a large sip of wine and told himself that he needed to focus and fast. No. No, I'm supposed to be here. I mean, I am here. I'm sorry. Really sorry. Maybe I think we should start again? My head's been elsewhere for the last little bit, I think. You've caught me on a strange day is all. Can we start again? He stood from the chair, slowly as to not scare her, then sat down again and extended a hand. Hello, I'm James Logan. Lovely to meet you. Laura let a grin raise the very end of the very left corner of her mouth and brought out her hand to meet his. Laura Ray, she said. And I'm fucking well glad that you're here because I was on a date with a right pillock before. Then, without knowing how, James managed to steer things in the right direction for a while. Things felt almost normal. Perhaps it was the wine, of which there was soon another bottle, which calmed his nerves and allowed him to be more in the moment. Or perhaps it was just that his body drifted into autopilot, riding on the coattails of routine and familiarity. He realised he had the upper hand here. He knew who Laura was, and he was able to use it to good effect. So you're a solicitor? He asked, having manoeuvred the conversation down avenues that he knew she enjoyed walking. That's cool. Do you like it? Paralegal. But I really love it, yeah. It's for, like, a humanitarian firm, so we do loads of human rights stuff, getting people out of the noose and into asylum, that sort of thing. She beamed when she spoke about it, and he found her passion for her work so engrossing, despite having heard it all before. It was a far healthier obsession than any he was capable of nurturing, in that it made her smile instead of tear things apart. And he wanted it to continue, so he guided her this way and that, the wine in his belly smoothing the edges of his demeanour. Until... And you? She asked. What do you do? He had to think. For some time now he had been unemployed, descending a spiral of self-mistreatment that would, he knew make Laura hate him. But before that he had enjoyed a normal life doing... something. What was it now? It seemed like a lifetime ago. Skies, he said. Skies? Yeah, yeah, I do skies. On the computer. What do you mean? She asked, an eyebrow arched, the wine glass pressed against her lower lip, pre-sipped. Like when movies need sunshine or clouds or sunsets, but the weather was wrong on the day they filmed, I paint skies on the computer. That's... I didn't even know that was a thing. Blimey. You'd have loved earlier today then. Must have been inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, right. James replied, wondering how best to push the conversation back towards Laura. There was a time when his job had been interesting, but that was no longer his job and he felt ill for talking about it as if it were. 
you said your whole office went outside to look. Yeah, and Tom, my brother, he came to meet me for a late lunch and we arrived back just in time. It was crazy. The whole of Holborn came to standstill. Everyone looking up, transfixed. Crazy. Have you got many siblings? James asked, changing tact. He found asking questions so much easier than answering them. Doing the latter made him think too hard about an old version of himself. One that had died. Doing the former was easy, like pushing a series of ready-made buttons. Just one? Laura said. And mum and dad, obviously, but it's just me and Tom for siblings. Are you close? James asked, knowing the answer, knowing that Tom and Laura lived together and were best friends, and that Tom was a graphic designer, and that he once nearly drowned aged four, and was left-handed, and was terrible at maths, and on and on. We're like best mates. He's a couple of years older, but he's like my best girlfriend. Only he does better with men than I do. James nodded slowly, prepping his next benign question, though Laura spoke before he could. So what about you? Family? No. No, none. He found that the answer came from him without really thinking. He had always disliked talking about it. Oh. Laura was disarmed. Far behind the round glass of his spectacles, something in the back of James's eyes had faltered, revealing something deeper than his early weirdness and the blandness of his subsequent candour. He finally seemed earnest, vulnerable in a way, and there was an attractiveness in that. Oh, um, I'm sorry. No need, he said, smiling gently. It's been a long time. So your parents are both... Mum when I was 19. She was... She was Canadian, so we had the service there, but they wouldn't let me stay there with her. He was distant now, gazing into space. I lived with grandparents here instead. Dad's around still, somewhere. I've not heard from him since I was 15, though, or not. Not until... Mid-sentence, the reality of things hit James again, and he felt a tear escape his eye. He reached inside his blazer and fondled around its pocket for a small notebook, which wasn't there, though usually was. He wondered where and when he had lost it. He wondered if anyone had ever gone through what he had experienced, whether any of it was even real. Distraction took hold of him again, and he could not focus on Laura's apologetic cooing. That's awful, she was saying. Sorry, I, I just couldn't imagine not having my parents around from such a young age. When James's bewilderment faded enough to land him back in the room, all he could muster was, It's for the best. He wasn't a nice man. He made... excuses. for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The rest of the evening was strained. Laura tried to eke more from him, but it was like conversing with a tragic war veteran. Some kind of PTSD had him by the scruff of the neck, and though the nightingale in her found some part of it deeply intriguing, this man sadly didn't seem worth her effort. There would be more out there, she resolved. The evening had been a flop, but at least she was back in the saddle. The second wine bottle came to an end, and she wasn't about to order a third. Well, she said at the tail end of a story about her colleague Jenny's many cats, catching him staring out of the window again, his gaze lost somewhere in the darkness outside. I think I'd best be off. What? Oh. James replied, taken aback. There should be a third bottle, he thought. He should buy a third. But more wine? No, I'd best be off. Laura sighed, standing and threading an arm through the wrong sleeve in her jacket. No. He had said it too loudly, too firmly. No, we should have another bottle. He tried to smile, to play it off as playfulness, but it worried Laura. Her mind began to race. One more, and we can talk a bit more, and... No, James. She shot back, now putting her bag on over her coat and eyeing her peripheries to see if anyone nearby was watching what was happening. No, I'm going to go now. It's been nice, but... Okay, okay. Then I'll walk you to the station. That's all. I'll walk you to the tube. Laura, sensing that things could turn nasty if she fought, agreed. She was angry now, angry at having her hopes dashed so completely by the stranger across the table. The man who was supposed to be Mr. Wright had let her down in spectacular fashion from the off then managed to resurrect things, only now to grow pushy and worrisome. Okay, she said. Okay. She held tightly to the phone in her jacket pocket and walked with narrow steps towards the door, James in tow. Despite the dark, she was able to find comfort in the busyness of the street outside the pub. Strangers surrounded them in all directions, and she was buoyed by the presence of people who could intervene if things got any worse. James, who closed the door behind him too hard 
and who now had a film of sweat building above his brow, and who could not think straight for the curvature of the route his evening had taken, was not buoyed by the people walking to and fro along the strand. When he closed his eyes and pictured how the night should end, there were fewer people. In fact, there was only Laura there, standing by a silent road, leaning in for a kiss. They hurried towards Leicester Square in absolute silence, James occasionally prodding his glasses back up his nose and reaching for sentences that didn't come. None of this was right, and he was terrified by it. Finally, as they rounded the corner and approached the station entrance, James said something that he thought might turn things around. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Look, don't worry about it, Laura said. Just not meant to be. Heat flushed through James's face. His pale skin glowed red, and he could feel tears swelling behind the eyes. She had floored him. With that missive, she had absolutely floored him. Then she went to wave, and to say something courteous yet curt, and James grabbed her by the arms. James, let go, James. James, let go of me. Fear sapped the strength from her, and she hung there for a second, immobile. A few people turned to look at the hubbub as they raced up or down the stairs inside the station entrance, but there was no intervention, no heroism on offer. Laura, I... we... Then James leaned in fast for a kiss, forcing his face towards hers. No, fuck off! Laura screamed, ducking and freeing herself from him with a writhe and a step backwards. She landed a cold slap across James's face and had run down the stairs towards the underground before he fully realised what had happened. He stood there then, alone amongst the bustle, blood tussling in his cheek, tears welling, unsure what to do. The people were no more than a billowing fog in the night, swirling and flowing by his peripheries. vibration of his phone against his thigh woke him from the trance, and though he couldn't know how long he had been stood motionless for, he sensed that it had been some considerable time, as the noise from the horns and the exhausts and the chatter had lessened. The darkness was pitch now, too, and he felt a cold sweat across himself. On the screen was a message. One new SMS from... The monochrome words scrolled to the left to reveal... Mark... James flipped the thing open. Well, it said. In another life, James would report on how great it had gone. He would say that she had just popped to the toilet, so he had to be quick, but that he and Laura were still drinking, and that he thought she was fantastic. Was it fantastic? he wondered. No, no, not fantastic. He would have said, amazing. He would have told Mark that the night was going great and that she was amazing, and that was how it would have all started. A convulsion rocked him from his gut upwards, lurching his torso as though he was going to be violently sick over the station steps. A barked sob burst from his mouth, and he began to cry. Running now, he was running, somewhere, 
The roads turned wet, and the cars spread into thin ripples beyond the sheen of his tears, rendering him near blind as he lurched through old alleys and paths, though he knew from the bleary monuments that he had torn through Trafalgar Square and on towards the Mall, where things had become suddenly quieter. A desperate sadness had him by the bottom of the throat, dragging him this way and that. He tried to see the message from Mark again, but it was a wash, a blur of salty green. There was a message hidden somewhere inside the thing from Laura that he knew to say, Okay, I'll see you there at seven. But he couldn't direct his thumbs in the right patterns to make it appear on the tiny display. In his drunken frustration, he threw the phone, hard, landing it against the brunt of solid brick of the wall opposite, breaking it clean in half at the flap with an explosion of plastic claps. He felt drunker than he ought to, but he carried on running until... Friday, September 15th, 1941. I will not sleep tonight. The muffled voices of men talking, absently and without true meaning or conviction in their discussions, keep stirring me from beyond the flimsy wall of the barracks. We are all scared, I think, and all too scared to admit it. I lay in my bunk now, drunk. Pen in hand. And I'm trying to remember what being in a real bed feels like. I cannot recall the feeling of proper sheets and of downy mattresses against my skin. Only that of tarpaulin and stretched cotton and metal and clammy heat. I rarely sleep now because of it. I don't write much either. This... Endeavour is new to me, in fact. I have never written in any volume. I remember my schoolmaster, Mr. Olson, telling me that writing might be a good use of my time, or certainly better than anything else I used to fill it with, but that I lacked conviction. He failed to see me ever keep it anything long enough to finish, he said. I suppose a diary suits me, then, as diaries do not have or need proper endings. I expect this diary to outlive me fairly soon. It's blank pages waiting patiently for further ink. That will never come. And that's somewhat comforting. It would not be laziness that causes me to give up writing, but rather my physical inability to do so. And it occurs to me now that I have forgotten to start this diary properly. My name is Philip Logan. Or rather, Flying Officer Philip Logan, to be official. And the world is still at war with itself. I do not pretend to fully know why, since I know it is far more complicated than whatever simplistic good-against-evil nonsense has been spooned upon us. Moreover, I do not rightly expect to live beyond the next ten days, so I don't suppose that it matters. Hollis is lying asleep in the bunk next to me, clutching a picture of the woman he has not yet mentioned the name of, despite all our time together. He is able to sleep through anything, it seems. The last time we were given leave, which was longer ago than I dare think, and back in England at that, 
Hollis slept hard and true on the roof of the White Hart in Devon, despite its steep angle and the cold and the massive noise around his ears. I believe he was finally roused by the police, because when he returned to the base, he faced a disciplinary, the nature of which he did not share, and the length of which saw him absent from H Company for a length of two weeks. He returned with bruises. In any case, Hollis doesn't seem scared about what's coming, and so he is sleeping. I envy him of that. H Company is a mixed bag in the most cliched tradition. H Company, 13th Unit, 70 Squadron. Men of mixed moral fiber and mixed ability. Myself included. I've been training here in Libya for several months now, which is, incidentally, exactly the amount of time it takes for a man to lose his resolve. It's funny. There was a time in which it felt like I couldn't get here soon enough. Though, now I see the objector's point of view. I understand it better now. This is no place for young boys. It makes old men of them in no time. <sighs> Seems to have made an old man of me already. The place is dangerously hot too, but the men who have already been fighting seem not to notice, as though their skin and senses have all been dulled right down to the bone. It is too hot for me, however. Even at night when everyone else seems cold, it strikes me that if we really were the goodies in this situation, then we should have garnered some empathy, some respite from the sun. Maybe the sun hates us, and the Italians, and the Japs, and the Jerrys equally. We shall see, I suppose. Tomorrow we take the vicars out on our first proper mission, Hollis and I. He's only been here as long as I, having transferred from RAF Biggin Hill in the early spring. I asked him what he was doing prior to that, but he brushed me aside with some vague muttering or other, and I do not know why it is that he feels so guarded. Personally, I have never spent this much time in such close proximity with anyone as I have with Sean Hollis. The training requires it. The bloody plane requires it. So it's with that in mind, not any notion of us becoming firm friends, that I wish he would destroy the wall that he has built about himself. It would make flying the thing so much easier. But then, flying the thing will never be easy. The Vickers Type 264 Valencia is an outdated plane, and I can tell as such, even though it's the only one I have ever properly flown. I'm told that Valencia was the name of an ancient Roman province in Britain, though nobody seems quite sure where exactly it was. The running joke here is that the same will happen to you if you fly one long enough. No one will be able to find you, given enough time. Seems true enough. In fact, they've been replaced for the most part by the Vickers Wellington, but they need six crew members to the Valencias too, so a few of these old shit tins live on. How is included? Prior to now, of course. That hasn't mattered. And that's because, regardless of what the propaganda says, the West African campaign is dull. Painfully so. At least from my perspective. I understand there was a big hoo-ha in Dakar last year, and on ground level the 8th Army moves west at a rate of knots. Most of what we're doing here seems to be killing time. 
not killing enemies. Besides, the Vickers is a cargo plane naturally, so that's what Hollis and I have been piloting it as up until now. As glorified delivery boys, running between the bases. It seems sometimes as though we will deliver a few crates of munitions or men to another base in Tunisia or Iraq, only to ferry the same bunch of crates or men back here some weeks later. It all blurs into one pointless mess. But then really that's all this war seems to be. Trading numbers and information and lives at the kind of rates which negate any gain on either side. There is another, more depressing running joke here that we'll be home in time for Christmas. Though I don't know which Christmas that could possibly be referring to. And it's all irrelevant in truth. As I write this, there is a team fitting the Valencia with a rack of over 2,000 pounds worth of bombing equipment so that Hollis and I might commit a week-long series of bombing raids on some of the forces in the western desert. But the airspace will not be empty, and there will no doubt be pilots in faster, lighter, smaller planes who will look to shoot us from the sky. And because of that, I have a very powerful feeling that this will be the end of me and Hollis. I can feel it in the middle of my bones, and at the end of every hair. I can feel that our Valencia will go the way of the Romans. That is why I must stop writing for now. It's too upsetting, frankly, and I must attempt to sleep. But I will leave you with this as a means to explain what, if anything, follows. If there is another entry in this diary, it means I have survived the day or the week ahead. If there's not, it means I have died, like so many of us have and will, doing something stupid for reasons which we do not understand. What had happened? Was he dead? The car had struck him from the side, seemingly from nowhere as he sprinted across a dark road. James found himself flying over its bonnet and crashing face up on the pavement on the other side. His lungs hurt. His ankle had twisted. Muffled voices came towards him from a number of angles, shouting and whomping in his ears in damp tones. A man was asking if he was okay. He was asking if James was alive. And was James alive? It was hard to tell. He pulled himself to his feet shakily, and as he rose he felt the blood in him rise too, settling around his temples and furnishing him with rage, with a kind of titanic rage that only patient men, the kind who usually lived and spoke with quiet tones, were ever able to muster the kind of rage that could break windows and rip the earth clean apart. No, no, I'm not all right. His words were cold, 
delivered on shaking breath. The driver started to respond with palms held out in front of himself, his sentiment apologetic and earnest, though James had no time for it. He wanted to burst into a pallid scream, but nothing more came. He wanted to inform the driver that his car was a weapon, that it was a two-ton, deadly weapon, that nothing on earth gave him the right to use that weapon in any way other than how hundreds and hundreds of people, wildly more intelligent people, had agreed that it was safe to do so. He wanted to tell the driver that he should use his indicators, that he should slow down, that he should simply drive better. He wanted to say that it had been another awful driver, neglecting to concentrate, who had killed his wife. He wanted to rip the man's body apart. He wanted to scream expletives forever. He wanted to drop back to the earth and wail, but a door had closed in his throat and no air could escape. He felt sick and dry and broken. Laura, he said through tears, it wasn't supposed to go like this. It shouldn't have gone like this. And then he started running again, away from the car and its owner and onwards into the misty distance. And the full weight of all the tears he had in him let themselves loose at once. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.